This life-changing message comes to you from Church of the Harvest. It's our prayer that this message will inspire your life and bring hope to your future. Thank you. What a privilege it is to be with you all today. And I just want to say I love your pastors. Your pastor and I got to hang out and have some firebirds ribs together. <laughs> and he's a great man. He really is a great man, and every man has a great w woman, wherever the woman is. So would you give them all a big hand? And his son and daughter-in-law, just phenomenal people, and it's just such a privilege to be able to connect with them, this little hobbit from New Zealand, <laughs> all the way in, down, way down in New Zealand, how we connected together so many years ago. My wife and I... <clears throat> Uh, honey, can you just stand and say hi? Would you give her a big hand? She's the most beautiful treasure. I thank God for her. I thank God for the woman of God. And I would say to any man, seek God first. Seek first the kingdom and all the good, good things will be added to you. Last year, my band and I, family and I, did a... a uh, 12 countries we toured. You saw a little bit about what we did. <clears throat> and one of the amazing stories that I want to share with you b b before we get into the Word today, um, because I believe God is preparing this group of people for something unique and something special um, to impact this community in a greater level, a greater way. But in order for this to happen, there is a there is a a a, a a greater positioning that we all need to position ourselves in in order for the, a new a new level of this glory to be able to fill us like God wants it to. Are you with me this morning? Good. But the story I want to share with you just to kick off today, it is in the nation of Ukraine. And uh, we've been going to Ukraine for over 12 years, and it's been an incredible honor to be a part of the move of God there. You're not going to see this on Fox or CNN News, but there is an incredible move of God happening in Ukraine. In the midst of all that is going on, there is a phenomenal move of God happening. And we had the privilege of going there, Natasha, the kids, and I had the honor to go in the middle of a war in Ukraine and to experience all that God was doing there. One of the most amazing stories of what God is doing through His church in the midst of the darkness, God's Word says He'll lift up a standard against it. And one of the amazing stories I want to share with you to encourage you today was the story that we heard of a pastor who was asked to go and fight in the battle. Any man up to the age of 60 years of age uh, is is has has to go and fight in Ukraine. How many men? Sixty. Lift up your hand. All right, just two of you. That's fine. <laughs> and so this this man is not only sixty, but he's a pastor. And so he gets to the war, and he's in the middle of a battle. And the story says that he's surrounded by the enemy. 
And so at a certain moment, he calls his pastor up, who's now in America, and says, Pastor, if something doesn't happen, we're going to lose our lives today. The enemy was coming in. Gunfight, battle, and everything was going on. So the pastor in, you, in uh, America calls his people to get together and pray for this guy. And so the next day, the guy who was in the fight calls his pastor up and says, Pastor, you wouldn't believe it. At a certain moment in the battle, these clouds gathered, the heavens opened, thunder and lightning, and all night rain just flooded the whole area. We got up the next day and the enemy was gone and they left all their ammunition and all their guns on the ground. Come on, somebody. In the midst of the darkness, God is about to do glorious things. Now, God's not pro the Russians. He's not pro Ukrainians. He's pro people. And when you and I cry out to Him, when we cry out to God, incredible things begin to happen. Do you believe that today? Another story I'll share with you is this, this pastor. This pastor uh, began to be known with all, with, with, with all the troops as pastor. And so he would witness and tell people about Jesus and uh, so he, he leads these four young men to the Lord. These four young men are sent one day on a mission. So they're, they're in this helicopter, all set, strapped in and all set to go. As they're about to lift off, the colonel comes in, opens the door and says, you, 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 and you, the four boys who had just given their hearts to the Lord, come out and I want you to go over here. The helicopter takes off. And within 10 minutes, it's shot down. It's news that goes throughout the whole earth about 40 Ukrainians who lost their lives, but the four men who knew Jesus were saved. Point of the message is this, is that we are living in dark times, and it's important that you and I understand that it is dark. It's important that you and I understand that there is wicked and evil moving throughout all the earth. But the good news is that in the midst of the darkness, God wants to raise up His standard. God wants to shine His light so the nations of the world will have a one last time opportunity before He returns to rule and reign on this earth again to accept Him as their Lord and Savior. And He wants to use us, the body, to be filled with His glory, to be filled with His courage, with His boldness, with His strength, with His wisdom and His words in order to do just that. And so the message that I want to share with you today is about God's dwelling place. Because it's important that you and I understand that there is a place that God likes to live. There is a place that He wants to dwell. There is a place that He wants and, and a people that He wants to work through in order for His glory and or, or His light to be seen throughout the nations. It's important that we as the body of Christ have a fresh revelation or a fresh reminder of who we really are so that we can be all we were made to be. Are you with me this morning? 
You may think oh, you, were, you were born on a little farm on the, on the outbacks of Olive's Branch, Mississippi. You chew tobacco and spit and all the rest of it. But you, but, but you are more than a tobacco chewer and spitter. Are you all with me right now? I am more than a little hobbit from Taronga, New Zealand. Most of you don't even know where Taronga, New Zealand is. And yet I'm here to be with you today again. So, turn with me to Acts chapter 7. We're talking about God's dwelling place. This is about empowerment this morning. To be all that God has called us to be. He has a job for us to do. It says in Acts chapter 7, verse 44 to 50, it says, Our fathers had the tabernacle of witness in the wilderness as he appointed instructing Moses to make it according to the pattern that he had seen, which our fathers, having received it in turn, also brought with Joshua into the land possessed by the Gentiles, whom God drove out before the face of the fathers, until the day of David, who found favor before God and asked to find a dwelling for the God of Jacob. But Solomon built him a house. Verse 48, say this after me. Say, however, the Most High does not dwell in temples made with hands. As the prophet says, Listen, heaven is my throne and earth is my footstool. What house will you build for me, says the Lord? Or what is my place of rest? Verse 50, listen carefully. Has my hand not made all these things? Has my hand, has my hand, has my hand not made all these things. God does not live in houses made with man's hands. God does live in a house. The Bible says it's a house he made with his own hands. Acts chapter 7 verse 50 says, has my hand not made all these things? This message this morning is about understanding where God's house is, where his place of rest is, and who are we in relationship to this? Genesis chapter 1 verse 27 says this, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female. We were all made in the image and likeness of God. We didn't come from monkeys. I'll say it again. We were made in the image of and likeness of God Himself. We did not come from monkeys. <laughs> America, just to remind you. You say, why do you say that? Well, I mean, it's what we're taught in our. How, how many have been to a public school? Lift up your hand. You've been to a public school. Lift it. All right. Well, most of us here today have been taught that man evolved from a monkey. But the truth is, God made the monkeys, and y'all know, y'all know, just trying to connect with you. <laughs> Pastor, you're amazing. I sat with him for a whole afternoon, and he's going, y'all, no, no. I'm thinking, Lord Jesus. <laughs> Woo! But I had the interpretation, is the Holy Spirit in me. Come on, somebody. And so, where was I? 
So the monkeys, God made the monkeys. We all know they're fun to hang out with. We all love monkeys. Monkeys are great. Monkeys are cute. Monkeys are little furry little beings. We love monkeys. We love monkeys. We, we talk about monkeys. We laugh about monkeys. We sing songs about monkeys. We have movies about monkeys. <laughs> but listen, we didn't come from a monkey. Now, God made the monkeys, but the difference between the monkey and you and me is that we were made in the image of God himself. And it's important that we spend a moment to allow this information to wash us from that type of thinking because subconsciously, even though many of us here, most of us are saved, we know Jesus, many of us still act and think like monkeys, not the kings and the queens that we are. That deserves something, you know. And so because we were made in his image and likeness, he fashioned us out of his dream. We are pretty special to God. Very special. How special? How important are you and I to God? Turn with me, if you would, to Psalms 139. Psalms 139, we're going to see how important you and I are to God. And it says there, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know my sitting down and my rising up. You understand my thought from afar. You comprehend my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Everyone say he knows me. It says in verse 4, For there is not a word on my tongue, but behold, Lord, you know it altogether. Verse 13, it says, For you formed my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. How do we, why do we praise? How do we praise? Because we, we, we get a revelation that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works. Hit the person next to you and look him in the eye and say, You're a marvelous work. You are a marvelous work. And that, it says, and that my soul knows very well. Verse 15, my frame, my frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed, and in your book they were all written, the days fashioned for me, when as yet there were none of them. Listen to this, verse 17, how precious also are your thoughts Toward me, O God, how great is the sum of them. If I should count them, they would be more in number than the sand. Stop, hold it, pause, sila. How great are your thoughts toward me? How great is the sum of them? If they would be, if would count them, they would be more in number than the sand. How many have been to the ocean, to the beach? I lived, I grew up on the beach, surfing in Taronga, beautiful white sand. Living on an island is fun. 
fishing and swimming. Hobbits love it. It's great. But when you pick up a, go to the beach, you pick up a, a handful of sand. If you look at all the particles of sand, it's impossible to know how many particles of sand are in your hand. Our Father is painting a picture for you and I today to reveal to us how much we mean to Him. If you think of all the sand of the ocean and all the sand on the seashore, He loves you and me and thinks about us more, more in number, more in number than the sand. Do you know who you really are? Do you know who you really are? In Genesis chapter 2 and verse 7, we see God's original plan for his dwelling place. Genesis chapter 2 and verse 7 says, And the Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living being. I'll read that again. And the Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living being. When did man become a living being? When God breathed into him. The Hebrew word for spirit is called ruach, which means wind, breath, air, or spirit. So the word breath has the same meaning as spirit. So when God breathed into man's nostrils, it was God's spirit that came into man. Then he became a living being. God, out of the dream, out of the vision of his heart, makes man, forms him from the dust of the ground. But it was not until he breathed into him that that, that, that shell became a living being. This was the original plan for his dwelling place. The original plan for God's dwelling place was in the man he created. This is the place where God wants to dwell. This is the place he wants to live. This is the place of choice for him. He does not live in houses made with man's hands. He lives in the place he made for himself. Do you know? 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 Do you know who you really are? Hmm. Genesis chapter 2 and verse 17, we see now the destru destruction of God's original dwelling place. We see now the destruction of it. The destruction of Genesis chapter 2 and verse 17, it says, But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you do you shall die. We all know the story this morning that Adam and Eve ate of the fruit of the tree. But history tells us that Adam actually lived for over 900 years. So did he die? Well, he did die because at the moment that he ate of the fruit the virus that was in the fruit came into the dwelling place of God. And because God and sin do not cohabit, the presence of God, the breath of God left Adam. That is why we read in the garden where Adam and Eve, the moment that they ate of the fruit, they ran away from God and hid. So no longer was the breath inside him covering them. The breath of God was outside and the breath came after them. But Adam said, God said, Adam, Adam, 
Adam! Adam! And Adam was hiding. So what destroyed Adam was the fact that the breath of God could no longer be in him. But from this moment, from this moment on, God begins the process. Everyone say process. God begins. God so loved us so much. God wanted us so much that he begins the process to restore his dwelling place again. Let's look at the process. Let's look at the process. Let's look at the process. We prick up the process in Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20, we see the beginning, the first part of the process I want to look at today. There's many steps on the way, but we're just going to look at a few. Step number one, God gives the Ten Commandments to Moses. In the process of restoring his dwelling place, in the process of restoring his breath back to man, in the process of restoring his life back to humanity, he begins in Exodus. We see in Exodus chapter 20, verse 1 to 17, God gives the Ten Commandments to Moses. And God spoke these words saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. He says, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourselves a carved image. You shall not take the name of the Lord in vain. You shall remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. You shall honor your father and mother. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. Why did God give these Ten Commandments to Moses? Number one, it was to reveal to man, to reveal to us as a people, our sinful condition. When Adam disobeyed God and ate of the fruit, the virus that was in the fruit came into man and destroyed God's original dwelling place. The life of God left because God and sin cannot cohabit. Romans chapter 3 verse 23 says, For all, you want to say all, All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Stop for a minute and listen. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. You and I were made with God's glory. The same glory that God our Father walked in, we all as a people in His dream and His vision, we all were made to walk in that same glory. But because of sin, that sin causes us to walk lower than the glory that we were made to walk in. Come on, somebody, help me just a little bit here. God, God made us to walk covered and, and, and saturated in His glory in, of, of who He was, His nature, His person, His power, His authority, His dominion, all that God was and is, we were made to be just like Him. But sin caused us to be lower. Thank God for Jesus. Woo! So the first step was to give Moses the Ten Commandments. Why did he do it? To reveal to us our sinful condition. Number two, it was to reveal to us our need for a Savior. Under the law, 
If you broke one of the commandments, you broke them all. No amount of good deeds could save us. You might not be an a, a adulterer, but if you lie, how many have ever lied today? You ever lied? Anybody lied? Uh-huh. So if we broke one of them, we broke all the commandments, and the wages of that sin was death. And so we needed a Savior. There's no amount of money you can give to be free. There's no amount of good deeds that you and I can do to be free. There's no amount of, it doesn't matter how well you sing or how cute you are, how short, tall you are, how knowing you are. It does not matter what you and I have. There's nothing that you and I could do because of sin, because of the virus that came into the earth. There was nothing that you and I could do to be free. We needed a Savior. So the second step, step number two of God restoring his dwelling place again. We see God commands Moses to build him a tabernacle. Turn to Exodus chapter 25. Exodus chapter 25 and verse 8 and 9. Exodus 25 verse 8 and 9. And it says, And let them make me a sanctuary. The word sanctuary in Hebrew means a sacred place. In the Webster's, it means a safe place. Let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. According to all I show you, that is the pattern of the tabernacle and the pattern of all its furnishings, just so you shall make it. And let them make me, second step, God commands Moses to build a tabernacle. Let them make me a sanctuary Why did God instruct Moses to build the tabernacle? Why? Because God wanted to be among his people. In the tabernacle, we see the process it took in order for his breath and spirit, his presence to be restored back to his people. On one end of the tabernacle, we see a gate. On the other end of the tabernacle, we see God's presence dwelling in an ark. And only one man, the high priest, one time a year could enter in and experience the presence of God. Each piece of furniture in the tabernacle represented what Jesus would do himself on the cross 1,500 years later, starting with the gate. Look at this tabernacle. Are you all with me this morning? Let's just now have a brief look at the tabernacle because it's important. There's an incredible thing. The tabernacle is a picture and a prophetic painting of Jesus. Everyone say Jesus. 1,500 years later, Jesus would fulfill everything, do everything. In fact, every piece of furniture in this tabernacle is Jesus. Oh, my gosh. How is it Jesus? Well, let's have a look. We see first we, we find it is a rectangular gate. Oh, sorry, a rectangular uh, t- tabernacle. It's like a tent. The first p- priest would come in and out daily, but only one man, one time a year, the high priest would enter into the holy place to actually experience the breath, the presence of God. But every step the priest took is what we took and what Jesus took in order to get us back again. We find the gate. You see the gate. Who is the gate? Well, Jesus is the gate. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. 
You take another step in the tabernacle, you come to the brazen altar. The brazen altar, a lamb was burning in the morning, another lamb in the evening, 24-7, a blood sacrifice was given for the sins of the people in order for the presence of God to be safe. 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 In order for God to feel safe. The blood sacrifice had to happen. This is significant of what Jesus would do himself on the cross 1,500 years later as he became the blood sacrifice. You take another step, the priest would come past the gate through the altar to the laver, and in the laver he would, there's water, and he would grab the water and wash himself before going towards the presence of God. He would wash himself. This is significant of Jesus, the Word of God. When you and I feed on this information, it's not a bunch of knowledge that makes you feel good and puffed up and like I know a lot of stuff. This is water. This is cleansing. This cleanses our minds and our hearts from the information that was in the virus from the information that was in the virus that Adam took a hold of that destroyed this computer and destroyed God's dwelling place. This knowledge cleanses us from that information. So Jesus was the laver. You take another step and now you come to the holy place. It's another door. You walk through this door, and this is, Jesus is the door. Jesus is the door of life. And so you come into the holy place, and on the left-hand side, you have what they call the golden candlestick, the golden lampstand. On the right-hand side, you have the table of showbread, and on the table of showbread, you have 12 loaves of bread. Those 12 loaves of bread are significant of the 12 tribes of Israel. The priest would come in. This room was pitch black. And so the only way he could come and partake of the bread was because of the candlestick. That candlestick is significant of the Holy Spirit, Jesus, the Holy Spirit in our lives. That bread is significant of this information. Jesus said, I am the word of life. Anyone who eats of me will have life and never go hungry. This is the bread. When you and I, you can be sitting on the toilet seat and the Holy Ghost can come on you. You can be reading this knowledge and be free and have life and have liberty. You can be running around the house because you've found something. A mysterious information, a mysterious revelation of Jesus and how he set us free. Come on, somebody. You take another step and you come to the altar of incense. This altar of incense is significant of the worship, of the prayers of the saints, and is significant of Jesus and what he does at the right hand of the Father every moment of every day as he intercedes for our behalf. The next step, we come to a veil. You've got to listen to this. It's very important. We come to a veil. This veil is 60 feet high, 30 feet wide, 4 inches thick. And in the Hebrew... It, 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 is, it is significant, if you want to understand what it means, it's, it's a screen. It's a separator. It's a divider. But listen, it's there to separate a holy God from an unholy man. 
God and sin do not cohabit. Are you with me? And so this, this is why beyond the veil, this veil, is the Holy of Holies. You see the Holy of Holies. And in the Holy of Holies is the Ark of the Covenant. In the ark was the, the, the ark was the safe place or the sanctuary that God told Moses to build. And it was, the, it was the first time since Adam fell that the glory, the presence of God, the breath of God came back into contact with human beings. And only one man, one time a year, the high priest on the Day of Atonement, only one man, one time a year, could enter in and experience the breath that Adam was created with. How many know that it is not God's will that only one man is filled with the breath of God? It is not God's will that one woman is filled with the breath of God. It is not God's plan that only one of us is filled with the breath of God. It is God's plan and His purpose that all humanity be filled with the glory and the presence of God again. This is life. This is life. You can have all the stuff in the world. You can have all the stuff, but there is nothing that compares to the breath and the presence of God in a man and a woman's life. And we were made for this. (laughs) Say, I was made for this. All right, so now we're going to fast forward in time. We've seen a part of the process. We're going to fast forward 1,500 years Turn with me forward to 2 Corinthians. Stay with me. We're almost done. Fast forward 1,500 years now to 1 Corinthians. First Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19 to 20, it says this. Or do you not know that your body, I'm going to say my body, is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? Let's read this together. Or do you not know, repeat after me, or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? You were brought at a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and spirit, which are God's. Question. What happened between Exodus, where the glory of God was brought back to the earth but was in an ark? Only one man could experience it. What happened between Exodus, 1,500 years or more passes? We have Corinthians. Now the presence of God, the glory of God is in people. We are the dwelling place of God. What happened? Let's look. Let's look. Turn with me, if you would, to John chapter 19, 28 to 30. John chapter 19, 28 to 30. Father, we thank you for revelation knowledge. We thank you for taking the scales from our eyes. This is more than just words. It is power. It is power. It is life-changing information. In Jesus' name, Father, we thank you for that. John 19, 28 to 30. It says, After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the Scripture might be fulfilled, He said, I thirst. Now a vessel full of sour wine was sitting there, and they filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on hyssop, and put it in his mouth. So when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. 
and bowing his head, gave up his spirit. So we have three words, accomplished, be fulfilled, and it is, it is finished. Accomplished, be fulfilled, it is finished. Jesus had a purpose. Jesus had a mission. What was accomplished? What was fulfilled? Well, Matthew helps us to see it in an even greater picture. Turn to Matthew chapter 27, verse 50. Matthew chapter 27, verse 50. And it says, And Jesus cried out with a loud voice, yielded up his spirit. Then behold, listen carefully, then behold the veil of the temple. You remember the veil? You remember that veil? Do you remember the veil? That veil stood between an unholy man and a holy God. Only one man one time a year could enter in and be in the presence of God. That, that veil in a different location in the temple, but the same veil, the same principle, the same thing that separated an unholy man from a holy God. That veil, come on people, that veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook and the rocks were split. And now not just one man can enter in, not just one woman can enter in, but a whole people, a whole community, Olive Branch, the whole nation can come into the presence of a living God. I'm talking to somebody today. I'm talking to you today. The Spirit of God is talking to us today. God is raising up a generation that is new. Sit back, that's really great, Mike. I like it. Oh, I like it. Did you like, what are we eating for dinner? Do you understand? Who you are. That veil that separated me and you from the life that we long for. And you don't lie to me. You all live, you walk 24, 1500 hours a year, 1500 hours a week just to get a hold of that new house that you think is going to fill your body, fill your soul, that new car, that new something else. We work our butts off just to feel like we're alive and happy and well. Well, I'm here to tell you something. Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added unto you. Seek first the kingdom. Seek first the kingdom. Know who you are. Be filled with his glory like you were made to be and allow his presence to shake the nation in this city again. Let's read on. Romans chapter 5 and verse 17. For by one man's offense, death reigned through the one. Even much more, those who receive abundance of grace. And the gift of righteousness will reign. <laughs> you know, the word reign in Hebrew means have dominion. The word reign, and he, it, it talks about royalty. Do you know who you really are? Do you know who you really are? In Jesus, we are royalty. In Jesus, we have dominion, authority. Verse 18 says, Therefore, as through one man's offense, judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation. Even so, through one man's righteous act, the free gift came to all men, resulting in justification of life. Listen to this. For as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners, so also by one man's obedience, many will be made righteous. Say, thank God for Jesus. Hebrews 10, listen to this carefully. Why, why, why are we reading this so much word? Well, it's the word that washes. 
It's the word that washes, not my words, his words. This is his information. The king of the universe hung the moon, the stars, and the sky. But you are the most important. Of all God's creation, you are number one. Because <laughs> we're his dwelling place. Verse 16 says, Hebrews 10 and verse 16 says, This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws into their hearts, and in their minds I will write them. Verse 19 says, Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he consecrated for us through the veil, through the veil that is his flesh. Listen, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed in pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promises is faithful. Why did God allow the tree to be in the garden? Oh, that's a good one, isn't it? Eh? But you didn't know. Why did God allow that tree to be in the garden? C.S. Lewis gives us a great illustration of why. Listen to this. This is a quote from him. Why was that tree in the garden? Free will. You want to say free will? Though it makes evil possible is also the only thing that makes possible any love or goodness or joy worth having. Listen carefully. Free will, though it makes evil possible, is also the only thing that makes possible any love or goodness or joy worth having. God did not make robots. And this whole, what we call the church age of humanity, is about finding those whose hearts are truly after Him. He's coming. He is coming. What He said He will do, He will do. I'll never forget the time in my life where I first experienced an encounter with the breath and the Spirit of God. I was 16 years of age. Up until age 16, my whole life revolved around sport, rugby in the winter, cricket in summer, and I thought I'd be a professional, had, had that ability. I thought that was my life. I was born to a pastor, Christian home. I had seen the things that God does. I'd heard about the things that God does. But what I discovered was this. There's a difference. My mother said to me, son, there's a difference between hearing about what he does, seeing what he does, and actually knowing him personally. And so one day, thank God for a praying mama. You're with me. Thank God for a praying mama. One day, God takes the desire for sport out of me, and all I, I just want to know him. And so I went into my bedroom, closed the door, cricket, bat, and ball in the closet, rugby ball in the closet, and I just began to cry out to God, God, I want to know you. I've heard about the things you do. I've, heard, I've seen the things you do, but I want to know you personally. And for weeks, I would cry out to God, sometimes with no feeling, no nothing. But one day, the Bible says God is a rewarder of those who diligently, diligently, diligently. Some people are out here today, and you say, I don't find God nowhere. Are you being diligent? 
broken? Are you hungry enough? Are you thirsty enough? Are you desperate enough to be with Him? Because if you and I are what He said He will do, He will do. He's done it for me. He's done it for millions of people all over the world. God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. Diligently seeking is not, is not only on church on a Sunday. And for most of us, our experience is this. And if it is, shocker docker, as we say in New Zealand. Shocker docker. Because you are the one who's been robbed. This is about equipping you to, to be who you are. <laughs> and so, see God, one day, suddenly, the presence of God, form is the place. My bedroom. I fell on my face and I began to weep and weep and weep like a baby. Just, just this, this from the depths of my soul. It was as if, the second thing that happened was, it was as if I'd put my finger in a light socket and this electrical current was surging right through my body. Just, and all I can tell you was the young man that stood up from that moment, the fruit of my encounter was the young man that stood up was different to the one who went down. And all I wanted to do was tell everyone about Jesus. <laughs> all I wanted to do was tell everyone about Jesus, about Jesus. Ah, about Je That's my wife, sorry. <laughs> and so we didn't come from monkeys, Pastor Paul. And so in my bedroom alone, I was like a roaring lion. I was bold. I was strong. Nothing could stop me. I was seeing thousands of people come to know Jesus. But every time I would step out of my bedroom to go out, this fear gripped me. I went from a lion to the skinniest, scrawniest little kitty cat you could ever find. Why? Well, as a young man, I couldn't speak. I couldn't. speak. How I overcame my problem. Can I have the keys, please? The lady. Okay. Up on the keys, please. How I overcame my problem was the more time I spent in His presence. The more His love was put inside of His dwelling place, which I am. Until one day, His love in me for people became stronger than my fear of what they would think of me. And now over 40 countries later, 17 years of ministry, nonstop, wife and kids in the car, in the plane, train, automobile, whatever it takes. Whatever it takes. Do you have a vision, you know, to be on TBN? No. You want to be on Daystar? No. I have no vision for that. I have vision for souls, for people to come to know Jesus. God is the one who opens doors. If he wants to open a door, I'll do it. But I'm, I'm not about, we're not about being a rock star. We're not about being a big deal. It's about just being a vessel that he can move through. To touch, to touch. In Pakistan, 300 Islamic people in public come receive Jesus. In Ukraine, in the middle of a war, praising, worship, hundreds have been saved, set free all over this planet. People are coming to know Jesus. What holds you back today? 
what holds us back from being filled. As I close, this is very important that we get this in our hearts today because all of us, we were made for this. All of us, we were made to be filled. We are the temple of God. We are His original plan for His dwelling place. You say, why do you come here? God said, till I come, forsake not the gathering of yourselves together where you can be equipped by pastors and shepherds that love you and represent Him to you to equip you with this knowledge and this information. That's why we gather. We gather because He commands us to gather together. But this is not the temple. This is the temple. Why is there an anointing in the building when I come? Well, it's not for the building. It's because you're here. And you carry that anointing everywhere you go. We, we've discovered that anointing in pubs and clubs on the streets is released upon the people. And sinners run to meet us with tears in their eyes saying, I want what you've got. What hinders us? Hosea chapter 4 and verse 6 says, My people suffer because of lack of knowledge. Well, how many feel today you've got to, you've got to re minding of this knowledge. This knowledge has touched your heart. Lift up your hand if you believe that. Wonderful. Hallelujah. So we don't have an issue with a lack of knowledge this morning. But 2 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul, turn there if you would to 2 Corinthians chapter 6. And I will show you the things I have for you, my love. And I am calling you I am drawing you to be filled in this day. It's my word, it's my word, it's my word that will be fulfilled when you are filled, when you are filled, when you are filled. Second Corinthians chapter 6, verse 11. It says, O Corinthians, Paul talking to the church at Corinth. It says, O Corinthians, we have spoken openly. Our heart, your heart is w- wide open. It says, you're not restrained or restricted by us, but you're restricted by your own affections. The first thing that hinders us from being filled like God made us to, church, is our affections. There's a battle raging for our affections. How much do we hunger and thirst for God to be filled? He's knocking at the door, but He's a gentleman. He's not going to just run in. He's done everything that needed to be done to be filled again. Affections. You say to me, I don't know. Ask the Holy Spirit. He'll show you. Is there an area in your affections that hinders you to be filled like He wants you to be? Number two, the second thing that hinders us is found in verse 14. Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers for what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness and what communion has light with darkness. First thing that hinders us is our affections. The second thing has been unequally yoked. What do I mean? Well, Jesus actually spent a lot of time with unsaved people. That's not what we're talking about. Jesus was connected to a lot of unsaved people, but the unsaved people didn't affect him. He impacted and affected them. And so it's important that you and I ask the question, Holy Spirit, is there areas in my life where I'm unequally yoked? Because that can hinder the infilling of the Spirit for all of us. The third thing that can hinder us from being filled like God wants to be is found in verse 15. And what accord has Christ with Belial? Or what part has a believer with an unbeliever? Verse 16. And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? 
For you are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them. I will walk among them. I will be their God and they will be my people. Third thing that hinders us is idols. Who is the temple? Who's the temple? Yeah. What can hinder us? Our affections. God wants to fill us. What can hinder us from being filled? Our affections. Being unequally yoked. Idols. So how do we change it all around? Let's read on. As we close this morning, let's read on. How do we reverse all this in our lives? 2 Corinthians 6 and verse 17. Verse 17 says, Therefore, come out from among them. Number one, we need to come out from among the thinking that is not of Jesus. The thinking of the world. Number two, and be separate. We need to be separate. Number three, it says, and, and, and do not touch what is unclean. It says, and I will receive you. I will be a father to you. And you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Almighty. Chapter 7 and verse 1 says, Therefore, having these promises, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of the Lord. Right. We've learned today that from the beginning of time, God made you and I to be His dwelling place. Adam sinned. A virus came into the earth. Every generation since Adam was destroyed because of sin. God begins the restoration through Moses. And in Jesus, He restores all things new. Today, He's asking us the question, will you let me fill you up like you were made to be? Olive Branch needs a move of God. America needs to return to its first love. America needs a move of God's Spirit. There is nothing that will do the job. But in order for the glory of God to be released into this nation, He needs His vessels to be filled and cleansed again. Let's all stand, please. As we sing, How Great Is Our God, As we sing, how great is our God? Just begin to ask the Holy Spirit, is there anything in my affections? Is there anything, are there any idols? Is there anywhere I'm unequally yoked? Is there anything that, what, what is hindering me from being filled like you made me to be? Splendor of the King And clothe the majesty Let all the earth rejoice all the earth rejoice. He wraps himself in light. And darkness tries to hide. And trembles at his voice. Trembles at his voice. Sing. How great is our God. Sing with me, how great is our God, and I will see how great, how great is our God, 
How great is our God. And sing with me, how great is our God. And I will see how great, how great is our God. Every eye is shut and every head is bowed today. If you're here and you've heard, maybe you've heard this message for the first time. Maybe you've heard this or you've heard something about this in the past. But the question that God wants to ask, the Bible says that Jesus is knocking. He comes knocking on the door of the hearts of people. And today He's knocking on the door of your heart and He's he's simply asking you, will you allow me to come in? He's knocking on the door of your heart and He's saying, will you allow me? Will you open the door and let me come into the temple that I created? You are the temple He created. He's knocking at your door today and He's asking you, will you allow me in? If you're here today and you've never said yes, Jesus, I want you to come inside. But today you want to. I would love to pray with you. And so I need to know who you are. If you're here today and you would say, Jesus, I feel you knocking at my heart, the door of my heart. And I want to open that door and I want to let you in. If that is you today, I would love to to pray with you. Can I ask you just to lift your hand straight up in the air? Straight up in the air. Straight up in the air. Yes. One, two. Anybody else? Lift your hands. Three. Anybody else today? You want Jesus to come into your heart. Lift your hand straight up in the air if that's you. You say, Jesus, I want you to come. Three, four. Anybody else today, I want Jesus to come into my heart. Can I ask everyone who lifted their hands to please be bold and have courage and come and stand here with me right now. That hand, those hands, come, 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 come right now, sweetheart. Come, those hands, the little kid at the back, come and stand with me, please. Come on, their hand over there, whatever those hands, those hands, the Spirit of God is calling you. Come and stand with us today, these beautiful people. Come on, come and stand here, sweetheart. Come and stand with me. The ushers, come and stand behind them. That young boy who raised your hand, I can, I'm looking at you right now. Come and stand with me. You raise your hand in the air. Come and stand with me. Come and stand with me. You're looking around like this. Come and stand with me. Anybody else today, you say, I feel Jesus knocking at my heart, asking to come in. And today I want to I wanna let him in. If that's you today, come. Come. This is the most beautiful day. I don't know any of you. And maybe in the past you have given your life to Jesus or you have opened. Maybe this is the first time. I don't know, but it's irrelevant because today we're going to pray together and we're going to stand together. Come on, everyone. Close your eyes. Bow your heads and say after me. Say, Heavenly Father, I thank you for Jesus. I thank you that my body is your dwelling place. That I I didn't come from a monkey. I was made in your image. And today, I open my heart and I invite you to come inside. I understand that sin separates me from you. And so today, I ask you to forgive me and cleanse me from all sin in my life. I surrender my body to you. 
I open my heart and ask you to come and live inside me. Today is the day where I am saved. Sin has no more power over me. The virus has no more power over me. I thank you for saving me. In Jesus' name, amen. How great is our God. Come on, sing. And sing with me. How great is our God. And I will see how great, how great is our God. One more time. How great is our God. And sing with me, our great is our God. And I will sing how great, how great is our God. Before we're dismissed, there's a couple of things that we need to do. But if you're here today, And you feel like maybe there is affections in your heart or maybe idols or the areas where you feel unequally yoked. And the Holy Spirit is touching you and saying, this is an area, this is an area, this is an area. If you'd imagine a cross here, we want to open this altar for people who want to come and lay down that affection. Lay down that care. Lay down that whatever it is so that you do not leave this place holding or carrying whatever that is. So we're going to sing. This is between you and your Father. Forget everyone else around you. This is not between me and you. It's between the Father and you. And this is significant because Jesus said as, as, as we confess our sins before as, as, as we uh, acknowledge God before men, He will acknowledge us. And so there's a courage and there's a boldness that needs to happen. But I'm telling you, I've experienced breakthrough when this happens. So as we sing again, if there's anything you feel like you need to lay at an altar today, God is about ready to pour His Spirit in a, in a, in a phenomenal way throughout all the earth. He's preparing His church for the greatest outpouring the world has ever seen. If that's you, just come. How great is our God. And sing with me, how great is our God. If you'd like to get more information about resources from Church of the Harvest, please check out our website at midsouthharvest.org. You may also contact us by phone at 662-890-1573 or toll-free at 866-383-8277.